0: Hey, everybody, welcome to episode 304 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, coming to you with yet another episode today. And I'm excited about this one because it kind of gets to the core of really what I'm trying to do with this podcast, which is ultimately to help you develop your running intuition, your ability to use the force, so to speak, with your training so that you can make those little micro decisions from day to day that are gonna help you push in the direction towards your goal. And a lot of the questions that I get often come down to really, can I trust my intuition or not? When people ask me about, how do I know how to feel pace or effort? When people ask me about, how do I know whether to do an extra rep or to do all the reps in a workout or to pull back? When people ask me about, whether or not they should run through an injury, all of these things get to, at some level, a core intuition that I want you to be developing so that you can make better decisions in your own running path. So that's what I'm going to be talking about today. I'm going to be talking about learning to develop your own running intuition across six different areas of your running. Before I get there, I wanted to quickly thank Care Of. They've been a partner of mine for Over two years now. They're a service, a subscription service that I use myself on a daily basis, and I'll talk to you about that a little bit more as well as give you an offer code mid episode. But let's just jump right in today to talk about developing your running intuition. And I want to set the table a little bit first by talking about a little bit more about the importance of this because. Yes, I recommend having a coach if you have that ability. Yes, I recommend following a program. Yes, I recommend having running friends that can keep you accountable. But at the end of the day, you have to personally make little decisions all the time with your running that are going to help move you in the right direction. And when it comes to feeling pace, when it comes to making decisions inside your speed workouts, when it comes to recovery and knowing what's going to be best for you, when it comes to your program structure and making modifications to a plan that might be on paper, when it comes to injury, when it comes to racing, when it comes to all of those areas, you're faced with decisions all the time about how to optimize your path forward. And the challenge is that it really takes a lot to learn. I can tell you I've been running myself for over 20 years. I've been coaching myself for nearly 15 years or more than 15 years actually at this point. And I'm still learning and developing my running intuition. I, have to, I like to believe, and I believe it's true, that I'm pretty advanced in my mastery of using the force while I run. And that's why I can share that with others. But at the same time, I still feel like I have opportunities to learn. And there are a lot of areas of the sport that aren't necessarily intuitive on the surface. You know, the basic principles of running easy so that you can get faster later. That's not an intuitive principle. The basic concepts of extending your long run at easy pace so that you can ultimately run longer than that for a marathon at faster pace. That is not a principle that sounds right on the surface level, that doesn't come to you necessarily intuitively. And so we have a lot to learn. And so there's this balance of learning while also developing your gut instinct and educating that gut instinct so that you can start to trust it along the way. And so part of what I want to do with this episode is give you some tools, some Framework: some things to think about when you're making those little intuitive decisions along each of those categories I just referenced. And that may feel a little bit overwhelming as you think about it because you're not an expert. You're listening to me for that reason. You've come to a good place to find this information and you may be newer to the sport. And so you have a lot to learn and that can be really, really intimidating when you might be comparing yourself to others that have been doing this for a longer period of time. But the bit of encouragement that I want to offer before we start is that no single decision really matters in the long term. It's the body of work that matters. It's the accumulation of work that matters. It is the long-term consistency that matters. And it also matters that you're learning and evolving as you go. You can make mistakes. You can miss here and there. And as long as you're learning from those mistakes, evaluating whether or not you could have made a better choice, and then letting that information file away in the back of your head so that you can make a better decision next time, as long as you're doing that, as long as your path forward is generally informed by the mistakes of your past, then you can't make a wrong decision in any given moment. That's not to say that there won't be consequences in the near term because there might be. And you might have to learn certain things the hard way with injury or with time away from the sport or whatever it may be. That's not to say you won't have setbacks or challenges. It's just to say that as long as you're learning from those setbacks and challenges, then you're going to be better for it down the road. So that's my encouragement for you. A- You can learn and develop over time, and B, you can't make a bad choice as long as you're learning from it and adapting over time. So that's my encouragement as we get started here. So now we're going to talk through six areas where we have to apply our running intuition. We're going to talk through pace. We're going to talk through speed work. We're going to talk through recovery. We're going to talk through program structure, macro structure. We're going to talk through injury, and we're going to talk through. Racing, how do you apply and develop your running intuition in each of those categories so let's jump in let's start with pace and i'll call it pace slash effort. This is perhaps one of the number one questions I get is how do I develop my ability to hold and dial into a certain pace or two paces or to know? What effort is right when I might see a tempo effort on my schedule, for example? It's a tricky question. It is a challenge. It is something that we all have to learn. And again, I'm pretty dialed in on this. But even still, I have to occasionally learn and course correct as I go with my own journey of dialing into pace. So for this one, I want to talk about three different things that I think can help you be better. The first and overarching point here that is very, very difficult in our age of tracking devices and Garmin watches and Coros watches and all the things that can tell us exactly what pace you might be running is that those can become crutches, if you will, in this journey to calibrate pace because you become overly reliant on your watch. The analogy that I like to use here is one of learning to read maps, for example, or to figure out directions in our modern world. We've become so reliant on using your phone to tell you where to go that we can't actually problem solve or figure things out without Google maps or without Apple maps or without one of these tools that tells us where to go. And so if something happens or if, The route is actually telling us something wrong. We just don't know it because we're so reliant on technology to get us where we want to go. And I want to encourage you to try to avoid over-reliance on technology. You have to learn to feel. You have to learn to listen to your own internal cues more than the data that is on your watch. And that's for a lot of reasons. One, because ultimately, as I talked about last week with Lori, effort matters more than pace. Your body, as long as you're within a certain range of paces, you're going to be working a certain physiological zone. And whether you're at nine minutes or 9.05, it doesn't matter ultimately when it comes to the ultimate training outcome you might be trying to achieve. But it does matter learning to feel that versus watching what your watch is telling you. So there's a couple of things I want you to do here. One is I want you to occasionally, and maybe more often than that for those that are overly reliant on it, is to run workouts and do runs without looking at your watch. If you have to cover it with tape so that you can't see it, so that you aren't tempted. But more than that, maybe you can just throw a sleeve over it. I do most of my runs during the week without looking at my watch. I like to have the watch and to be tracking the data so that I can look at it later or so that I can keep track of my training. But for the vast majority of runs, I'm not looking at it. What am I doing instead? I'm actually listening to what my body is telling me about how it feels. And I'll talk a little bit more about this when we get to some of the other segments talking about recovery, for example. But you have to learn to dial into your cues. How is your breathing? How is your heart rate? What is your perceived effort? Are you relaxed? Is your face relaxed? Are your arms relaxed? Are your shoulders relaxed? Are your legs relaxed? Actually develop the ability to check in with body parts while you run and then start to calibrate how they feel with certain paces over time. So that's number one, is don't become overly reliant on your watch. And I would say that that's even true in quality workouts. I want you to occasionally do quality workouts without looking at your watch. Look at it later to calibrate, to see how you were, how you did. But for a moment, give yourself the freedom to experience it by simply trying to dial into the right effort. I think effort-based runs... Like tempo runs or steady runs or even progression runs, those types of quality workouts are really good opportunities to practice flexing this muscle. So that's the first thing you can do. The second thing you can do is actually make sure using your watch correctly by looking at the appropriate pace metrics if you are using your watch. So many of us rely on instant pace, which is typically the default pace you might see on your watch. It's telling you or at least approximating for you what pace you might be running at a given moment. And the challenge with that is that it's only directionally correct, and it could actually swing pretty wildly depending on the variables that might be in play. And so instead of instant pace, if you are relying on pace, I want you to be using lap pace on your intervals in your workouts, and make sure that if you're gonna use lap pace, that you give it some time, because that's average pace for your given lap or interval, you give it some time to actually register a reasonable pace. So for example, if I'm doing an 800 meter repeat, and I look at my watch at 100 meters, and look at my lap pace at 100 meters, it's likely not very accurate. But if I look at it at 400 meters, Then I might actually have a decent feel for the watch might actually have a decent feel for the pace I'm going because it's averaging over that time and or distance. And then I'll get another reading, obviously, at the end of the 800 when I'm getting the total average for that entire interval. And then I can use that information to calibrate my pace and either squeeze it down a little bit with the next rep if I'm going too slow or perhaps slow down if I'm already going too fast. So use lap pace, not instant pace, and make sure if you're gonna use it, that you're using it with a little bit of space for it to register an average that's actually gonna be reasonably accurate. So that's number two, and then the third thing is I want you to always, always look at the data and calibrate afterwards. So even in the context of a watch free or a run where you're not looking at your watch, Always go back and look, calibrate the data afterwards. What were your interval paces relative to what you were supposed to run? How did they feel? So give yourself that learning opportunity afterwards by calibrating the data that you see on your watch with how you felt during that run so that you can start to put the two things together. And again, as long as you're learning, it's okay. So what if you went too fast on one interval? So what if you started too fast and weren't able to actually execute the workout fully because you got in too hot and then couldn't hold the paces? So what if that happened to you once? But shame on you if you let it keep happening because you're not actually using that information to learn and to recalibrate going forward. So that's the first point here is make sure... You're using your watch appropriately. The next point I want to make is using the principle of progression in almost every single way you can in your running. And I've talked about this before. This is a principle that I learned from a coach of mine, John Shrupp, who talked about doing everything in progression. And that includes workouts, that includes easy runs, that includes races, everything in progression because what happens when you start more slowly than you should or than you intend is that it's so much easier to calibrate to a pace by working down towards it by gradually applying a little bit more pressure versus the opposite and the common mistake that people make is going out too hot and then trying to course correct backwards and then often overcorrecting and then re-correcting, and then you end up in this yo-yo situation where you're missing on both sides before you get to the end of the workout and you haven't had a single rep on pace. So instead of starting too fast, I want you to get in the habit of always, always, always starting a little bit slower than you should. I like to say, if you're going to miss, miss slow on that first rep so that you can then very gradually with subtle changes in effort, squeeze down to your target. And once you find that rhythm, once you find that pace you're trying to hit, using your watch, if you use it, tracking your intervals, if you're tracking them, then then it's all about holding and maintaining. And that is much easier if you've worked down to pace versus if you've overshot and then had to pull back. So everything in progression, same thing on easy runs or recovery runs, start Slow. Start easy. Start easier than you think you need to. Start painfully easy, and then naturally let the body dictate the pace as you go. Because as you warm into it, you will naturally get faster, and there will be a natural progression to your run that will not only make it feel better but also make sure you stay into that easy zone. Talked about that on my con- in my conversation with Lori last week so apply this principle of progression because if you start slower than you think you need to or slower than prescribed it's always easier to squeeze down subtly recognizing that you typically only have to make very subtle shifts in effort in order to squeeze down to pace and then once you find it hold it and then become very aware of how that feels Become very present in the moment. And so that gets me to number three, is be present at pace. Instead of constantly looking at your watch to make sure you're still on it, be present at pace. Dial into the cues or listen to the cues that it's telling you. Once you find that rhythm, let's say it's, I need to run 10K pace in this workout for a certain, for a certain interval. If you start slow, you work down to that pace, you hit Start hitting that pace at certain reps, then stop looking at your watch. You're there and just feel it. Listen to your body, listen to how it feels. Think about your breathing, think about how your, your movement patterns are flowing through space and really connect to that. Because I promise you, you're not going to have to keep looking at your watch to dial in if you're just listening to your body. And look, you're always going to get a checkpoint at the end of an interval where you can calibrate it up and down if for some reason you get off. But inside those reps, feel it. I can remember last fall, and I won't name names here, but I happened to jump in into a long run workout with some of the athletes that I coach in Austin. We just happened to be crossing paths on our long run course, and they were doing an interval in their long run. And so I thought I would jump in and help out for a little bit. And as I did that, it was a group of five or six athletes that were all pushing and trying to hit a certain pace. And they were all yelling at each other, sniping back and forth, too fast, too slow, this pace, that pace. Instead of just settling in with the group, listening to their bodies, trusting the collective energy to dial into pace. And so I was very adamant. I was like, stop it. Everybody stop it. Just feel Just find that rhythm, get in the flow because that is ultimately where we learn how to calibrate pace and effort if we're actually paying attention, if we're present instead of letting the watch tell us. Because ultimately, pace is an output. It's a metric to tell us whether we're in the right physiological zone, but there's also other things that can tell us our breathing, our heart rate, how our muscles feel, how our body's moving through space. You have to learn to listen to all of that because if you do, then you'll learn how to recreate those feelings and you'll start to learn how it feels to run half marathon pace or marathon pace or 10K pace or 5K pace. You'll learn it and then you'll be able to go back to it without looking at your watch because you'll know how it feels. So that's the third point here is just learn to be present at pace. Feel it as much as you use your watch to calibrate. So those are some tips on using your intuition, your using the force to try to get to the right pace or effort. Number two, let's talk about intuition relative to speed workouts, relative to speed workouts. People ask me all the time questions like, I was sick for a couple of days. Should I do this workout? I'm struggling in the workout. Should I cut it short or press through? I'm not hitting my paces. What should I do? The workout called for six to eight reps. How many reps should I do? All questions that are intended, from my perspective, to be answered by your growing intuition. The worst thing you can do is just do what's on a piece of paper because it's in the plan if there are external factors that are telling you that might not be right for you. And this applies to a few other categories that we're going to talk about as well, but it especially applies to speed workouts. I have an episode of the podcast that I would also point you to on this topic. It's episode 197. It's titled, When to Press and When to Rest which I think gets to some of these questions as well. But I want to talk about it basically breaking down some of those questions and some of the variables that you would be thinking about in making decisions, in trusting your intuition relative to how to execute a speed workout. And let's start with the fundamental first question, which is, what should I do if I'm not sure whether or not I should do a workout at all? So let's talk about that. There's different scenarios where this might pop up. One scenario might be that you're sick or that you've been sick recently. In this case, the only hard and fast rule that I have relative to being sick and running is that you shouldn't run if you have a fever. You shouldn't run if you have a fever. Hard and fast. If you have a fever, don't run. Period. The end. Beyond that, get into a really gray area, which is harder to interpret. But this is where you have to trust your gut. Because I would much rather anybody who's been sick or feeling sick to err on the conservative side to give your body the ability to be healthy before you start to add training stimulus again. Because what happens when you resume training when you're not ready? Well, you could potentially set back your ability to recover from that sickness or illness that you might be dealing with. You could also potentially compromise your ability to do future work. So even though you might feel like you're jumping the gun and getting back into it, you could ultimately delay your process or cause that illness to linger so that you then end up not actually getting back to full throttle as quickly as you'd like. So. Err on the conservative side. When in doubt, don't run. And there's some things that you can look at relative to this, such as resting heart rate, for example. I encourage everybody to have a rough sense of what their baseline normal resting heart rate is in the context of a training cycle. And if you wake up in the morning and your resting heart rate is five beats or higher north of what you're used to, then that's probably a sign that you shouldn't be out doing a run or workout that day. It's probably a sign that you need to recover, that you need to spend more time perhaps sleeping, hydrating, doing things that you need to do to get over whatever you might be facing instead of getting out for a run. So that's another way you can calibrate around this is what is my heart rate actually telling me? And then of course, go based on how you feel. If I don't feel up for it, don't do it. It's always better to wait an extra day or two coming back from illness than it is to jump in and perhaps set yourself back. So that's one scenario where you might be sick or have an illness. Another scenario might be where you don't feel recovered for whatever reason from prior work. Could have been a race that you did. It could have been a recent workout that was really difficult and challenging Could have been a long run that may have stretched you more than you might have expected. And so you might show up facing a workout feeling like you're not prepared. And so there is a certain amount of intuition that goes into whether or not I do this work or whether or not I perhaps change the work or move it to another day. And that is, again, where I want you to trust your gut. What is your gut telling you? How are you feeling? And also perhaps look at resting heart rate. You can also look at heart rate variability if you track that data using Whoop or Aura or an app like HRV4 Training because those metrics can also tell you how prepared you are to accept the work that you're about to do. But if you're in doubt and you're not sure, then I would encourage you To be conservative in general, if you can move it to another day, do it. If you can't, perhaps just modify what you're planning to do, either by shortening the reps, slowing down the paces, or potentially just doing an easy run plus some strides at the end, which is going to give you a little bit of speed stimulus that will be better than nothing on that given day. As I often say, something is always better than nothing. And in the case where you're feeling run down, it's usually better to live to fight another day by modifying your work in some way, push it to another day, shorten or slow the paces down or potentially abandon the workout altogether and just do strides instead. So, that, so that's what to think about when it comes to, do I do this workout or not? And then when you get into a workout, then it's all about learning how to calibrate when to press, and when to back off. And there's a couple of things to think about here. One is the time period in which you might be training. talked about this before on the podcast, but there is a window that is typically three to eight weeks out from your race date if you're doing a marathon and perhaps two to six or seven weeks out from a half marathon. That's your race-specific training block. When you get into that window of training, that's when you wanna be more precise. That's when you want to, in general, make decisions that are slightly more aggressive than you would at any other part of the cycle. So if you're in that window, that's when I typically want you to actually make the slightly more aggressive choice. But when you're outside that window, I want you to make the conservative choice every single time. Because again, when you're in the strength phase or you're in the priming phase or you're in the taper phase or perhaps a recovery phase from another cycle, you doing every single rep and hitting every single pace exactly matters so much less than just getting in some work at all. So recognize your time frame when you're applying the intuition about how many reps to do or whether to nail All your paces, and then I want you to be thinking about how you're executing a workout. In general, you can claim success in a workout if you get to the end and you feel like you could have done one more rep. Very rarely do we want you to get to the end of a workout completely spent. In fact, I would say 99. Probably five to nine percent of the time. I want my athletes to finish a workout feeling like they could have done one more rep on pace. And so as you're progressing through a workout, whether it be in terms of knowing what paces to hit or how many reps to do, the question is, can I do another rep while maintaining pace and getting to the end of that rep feeling like there's one more left in me? That's what you want to do. And if you get to a point, Or you think that that's not going to be possible, whether you're not sure if you can do another rep on pace, then it might be time to call it. Because the last thing we want is for your form to fall apart, for you to get sloppy, for the pace dramatically to slow down. Because if you start doing reps in that type of compromised state, then you're really opening yourself up for injury. You're also opening yourself up for bad form habits to come into play. So, as you progress through a workout, if you ever get to a point where you think, you know what, I can't do another one and feel good about it and stay on pace, or if I do another one, my form's going to break down, or my form started to break down on the last rep, then that's a sign that it's time to call it. And believe me, there is success in any outcome by doing the work. All the workouts that I write have ranges in them. Typically, where it'll be six to eight times 800. It'll be five to seven times 1K. It'll be a range of mile repeats because that recognizes that some days you're going to have it and you're going to do the full number. And some days you're not. And it's going to be better for you to do fewer reps, call it a win and move on and feel strong and good about it. And if you hit any number in that range, you can claim success. But so often we get so rigid about executing workouts that we feel like we have to do exactly every single rep that's on paper. And that's when it can be dangerous. When we don't give ourselves the grace to choose less when our body is calling for it on a given day. Trust your intuition on these things, but recognize some of these variables that I'm talking about. So that's number two, trusting your intuition relative to quality sessions. Let's talk about number three, trusting your intuition relative to recovery and to fueling. I want to combine those into one category because fueling is an important part of recovery. And so I want to talk about a few variables here. An overarching point here, which is an overarching point to this whole episode is to learn to listen to your body in recovery and to give it what it needs. Learn to listen to your body in recovery and give it what it needs. What does that mean? Well, I'll give you some examples. One of them is with sleep. I can tell you there's been a time in my life when I was resistant to taking a nap. In my head... For whatever reason, I, was, I would consider myself, quote, lazy if I took a nap. But I could tell you there were a lot of times where I might be yawning, where I might be tired, exhausted, having trouble thinking perhaps, and my body might be calling for a nap. And as we know, sleep is our number one recovery tool, and yet so often we deny it, the appropriate amount of sleep. And that could be yawning in the evening when it's time to go to bed. And instead of listening to our body and letting ourselves naturally fall asleep, we power on another episode of a show and we deny it, that sleep. In my case, I would deny myself naps because I thought it was something that, quote, lazy people did. And now I'm president of the nap club. I'm fully embraced it. I will actually... Simply take naps when my body's calling for it and when I have the flexibility to do it. Fortunately for me, I have flexibility in my work situation. And so there are times during the middle of an afternoon where I might be working, doing something for coaching, prepping the podcast, whatever it may be, and I'm just feeling tired. I'll lay down and knock out a 20, 30 minute nap when my body is calling for it. There are times at night sometimes I'm a night owl, so it's hard for me to go to sleep. At early times, but there are times when my body is calling for it occasionally when I'm really tired and I've learned to just listen to it, to embrace it, to actually go to sleep when I should, when my body is telling me that that's what it needs. So start to listen to those cues. Another example is with with food, particularly with cravings. One of the things that I've noticed is that when I'm starting to crave certain things, and there's usually a reason for it. And certainly there can be times where you're craving stuff that doesn't make sense. But I think more often than not, when you have cravings, it's your body trying to tell you that you need fuel of some sort. I can remember a time when I was craving bananas for whatever reason. I like bananas, but I'm not necessarily a banana person. And yet there was a time when I was actually craving bananas and it actually coincided with the time that I was potassium deficient it happened to be late in a big summer of training when I was training for my ultra and I was using a lot of electrolytes in my training that summer and it turns out I wasn't supplementing enough with potassium in particular so I started craving things with potassium there was a time when I was deficient in magnesium was craving things with magnesium in it sometimes I crave sweets and that's sometimes a time that's sometimes a sign that I just need more carbs to fuel the work that I'm doing. And so when those little cravings pop up, listen to them. Don't deny yourself. Listen to it and try to see what cues your body's trying to tell you so that you can help course correct whatever it may be. Another example here is foam rolling. I can tell you there are times when my muscles are tight and... I look at the foam roller that's somewhere floating around the floor of our house and my intuition says you need to jump up, you need to jump on that thing and actually work the tight spot. And so listen to it, do it, jump on the foam roller, give your body what it needs because sometimes it's going to be one thing, sometimes it's going to be something else, but you want to embrace it, whatever it is, listen to those cues and learn to start to respond. And I think as much as listening is also learning when you miss the cues so that you can be a better listener the next time. So also kind of think about those moments that you may have missed and don't beat yourself up. Don't self-flagellate. There's no point in doing that. But make those little mental notes that say, hey, the next time my body tells me that, I'm going to give it what it needs. So that's one point here on recovery. Another point I want to make relative to this intuition is How you treat your recovery runs. How you treat your recovery runs. So often I get people asking me, what pace should I run on my recovery runs? And look, I can give you rules of thumb. I'll tell you two minutes per mile or slower than your marathon pace. I'll give you that rule of thumb. But the real answer, the truth, is that you should actually let your body tell you what pace to run on recovery runs. You should actually listen to your body. You should let it tell you. And that is such a hard concept to embrace. Lori talked a little bit about it in last episode, about how she started to try to dial into what was comfortable and recognizing that, hey, if I can just be comfortable on this hill, then that'll get me to the right place. But the same is true regardless of the run and the situation. And the way I like to start my recovery runs is at a glacially slow effort that's dictated by how my body feels on that day. So if I've just come off a 20-mile run with a workout and I'm really sore and tired and sluggish and maybe even sitting there telling myself that I don't want to do this run at all, then I'll get out the door and I'll start maybe by walking around the corner just to get moving, just to start to build a little bit of momentum And then once I hit a couple of blocks away from my house, I'll start into a very, very easy shuffle jog that feels manageable that my body says, all right, pretty sore and tired, but I can do this. And then I'll let that pace evolve through the run as I feel. And if I hit a hill, I'll slow down naturally on that hill. Sometimes I'll even walk on the hill because that's what feels easy and comfortable in the moment and feels right for my body in the context of that recovery run sometimes when i'm feeling particularly tight maybe after a couple of miles and it's still feeling sluggish i might even stop and do some basic drills and mobility in the context of my recovery run to try to loosen things up and get get and then get going again at a little bit of a smoother effort so it takes a lot of discipline it also takes setting your ego aside It takes recognizing that the purpose for that day is not to do anything other than create blood flow, which promotes healing. As Coach Marilyn has said on this podcast, motion is lotion for the muscles. And that is job number one on a recovery day is simply to move, to create blood flow, to promote healing so that you can then go do your next long or hard effort and get more out of it. And so some days that might be three or four minutes slower than marathon pace. And guess what? It doesn't matter. You are not, your recovery runs are not judged by your pace. They are judged simply by the fact of, did I feel better when I finished than when I started? And if the answer is yes, then you can claim success. If the answer is no, then you probably should have slowed down and listened to your body a little bit better along the way. So, really embrace the intuition of feeling those recovery runs. Definitely on those days, ignore your watch. Because again, it doesn't matter in the least what your watch says. And in fact, it might actually be a hindrance if you care what your watch says at all. So, there's a couple of points on using your intuition with recovery. Before I get to the next one, number four, I want to talk about my partnership With care of. As you know, I've been working with them for two years now. Absolutely love the subscription service that they provide. And speaking of love, it's February, and so it's time to give yourself some self love and really take care of your body as we progress into 2023. What I recommend you do is go to their website, take the quiz, enter your goals, and they will give you recommendations on things to include in your pack to meet those goals. You can select what to include, what to exclude, you can add other components if you know some things you already need. And you can assemble your packs and then they'll mail them to you once a month, send you a daily pack that you can then take daily without having to think about it. It Makes it really simple. Those Those packs are compostable so you can compost those and feel good about that being environmentally friendly. They also have an app that allows you to track your progress you can also earn rewards on there for discounts and other merch that will help you in your health journey i use them i get my daily packs they have vitamin d they have fish oil they have ashwagandha among other things that help me never forget the basic things that i need to continue to be my best running self and so i encourage you to check them out and take advantage of the offer i have for you so for 50% off your first care of order, go to takecareof.com and use the code ROGUE50. Again, that's takecareof.com. Use the code ROGUE50, E R-O-G-U-E, five zero for 50% off your first order and get started with them today. Okay, let's jump back to my conversation talking about running intuition. We've got three more categories to cover. The fourth one I want to talk about is program structure. Program Structure and using your intuition relative to program structure, how your training program should be assembled. And again, I advise you to have external resources, coach podcasts like myself to learn and to figure out some of the technical aspects of coaching that you need to assemble an effective program. But you also over time have to trust and build in the elements that are going to be right for you and ask yourself certain questions like, how should I progress in my training? And is that progression too rapid for me, for example? And so I wanna cover cover off on some areas where you might actually be trusting your intuition relative to this topic on program structure. One of the areas would be how you build your volume and mileage over time. So for example, a lot of people come to me and they say, Chris, I wanna increase my mileage, I wanna actually improve my volume as I progress in my training, how can I do that effectively? And there's certainly some rules of thumb that you can apply here. One that I apply and I've talked about before is the 20% rule, is that I don't typically wanna see people jumping by more than 20% in their miles per week at peak in one training cycle to the next. So if you peak at 40 miles per week in one training cycle, I wouldn't want you to peak at typically more than about 48 miles in that next training cycle. Or, as you get above 50 miles, then maybe use a threshold of 10 miles per training cycle instead of going with that 20% number. But, at the same time, you still have to trust your intuition as to where in that range you might fall. So, for example, maybe I shouldn't actually take all 20%. Maybe instead of building to 48 miles, In this cycle, I should stick with 45. And that's where some of the intuition comes in. And you have to look at how has my body responded to volume increases in the past? How does my training fit together relative to my personal life and schedule? And will that be balanced? Because again, you can only build mileage to the extent that you can recover from that volume. And assuming you're doing all the right things, running easy when you should, treating those recovery runs like I just talked about. Assuming you're doing all those things, you may still choose to increase by lower levels because perhaps you're in a stressful situation for family right now or you're in a stressful work environment right now. You may have other things that are pulling on your time that are going to prevent you from being able to build volume in a way that is sustainable. So you have to... Certainly look at the rules of thumb, but then also start to trust your intuition about what's going to be too much. And then when you get into it, you have to then listen as you go. You have to say, hey, once I get to 45 miles a week, how does it feel? Is it too much? And maybe after doing that for a couple of up week cycles, you feel like you can't recover well, you feel like the quality workouts are not going well, and there may be reasons for that, but you may also decide that you need to pull back at a given time in order to make sure that it all fits together in a way that works. So you have to listen as you go as well, while also trusting that build along the way. And then, even in the context of a written program, you have to make little decisions all along the way that might actually make subtle changes to the program as you go. And again, general rule of thumb here is when in doubt, do something rather than nothing. But things always pop up, right? A sick kid at home, a work trip that you didn't expect, a vacation maybe that wasn't planned. And so what are you going to do in those situations? Are you going to be able to adapt? Because really a training program, once it's written down, is really kind of only as good as that piece of paper is is worth. And as I like to say, there's no such thing as a perfect training cycle. So you're always going to be making modifications along the way. And the goal is that those modifications are relatively minor or that they still allow you to get the bulk of the work in. But that's okay. That's a part of the process. You have to adapt as you go. And there may be reasons for it, like injury, like we will talk about here in a second. But you have to give yourself space for that. And then you have to learn how to make those little decisions along the way for yourself. You got a trip coming up. Okay. Instead of just letting the tail wag the dog, let's actually proactively look ahead at that schedule and say, all right, how can I rearrange my runs in advance of that trip and after that trip? In order to make sure that I can maintain as much of the work as possible. You might shift your long runs to a different day. You might subtract a workout but get in a long run in the middle of the week instead so that you can get that in. You might shift around your down weeks if you do down weeks in order to make sure that you can get the big work that you need to done. You might move a workout to another day. And one rule of thumb when moving workouts is always to make sure, it's always make sure that you have a recovery day after every hard or long day because people get injured when they start to squeeze workouts and long runs together without active recovery in between. So make sure you're not doing that. But other than that, you typically will have some freedom within the framework to make sure that you're getting everything in. So start flexing those muscles. Learn to make those decisions. And if you have a coach Sure, ask them what you should do, but also propose your own solution. Say, you know what? I've got this thing coming up. Would love your advice on what to do, but I was thinking this. Does that sound right? I've got a couple options in my head. Option A, option B. What do you think, coach? So that allows you to flex that muscle while also validating your choice with an expert. And so that then the next time you have to make that decision, You're more educated, you're more prepared, or if you're in a situation where your coach isn't available or you don't get the answer you need, you start to develop that muscle to make those decisions on your own. So be open to following your intuition, both in terms of setting up the program with things like volume decisions or the mix of types of workouts, while also being willing to trust your intuition relative to the little decisions you have to make to make modifications along the way. So that's number four intuition relative to program structure. Number five, let's talk about intuition relative to injury. Intuition relative to injury. And this one's tricky because, as I think a lot of times, our intuition can be wrong here. So it takes a lot of work to develop good intuition relative to running. But one of the questions in the context of injury related intuition is simply, what's the difference between something that's just soreness that will go away, that's a normal part of training, versus something that is an injury or a niggle that might become an injury? And learning to decipher between those things is a very, very important intuition to develop over time. And it's something for me, as somebody who's doing this for 20 plus years, that I'm very dialed into. And it's really kind of funny. It's kind of funny and interesting at this point cuz I could I can be feeling pain perhaps in both knees on a given day and know that in one knee that pain is just a normal soreness that's going to go away and know that simultaneously the pain in the other way in the other knee even though they might be a similar level is something that I need to have investigated and get checked out that might become a bigger issue. I've gotten to that level of intuition, and that's something you need to start to develop for yourself. Typically, the soreness kind of pain is that pain that is more ephemeral, that will typically go away, that might even be there at the beginning of your next run, but that will fade away as you progress through those recovery runs, perhaps. But when you're having those feelings and when they start to dissipate, be cognizant of it, be aware of it. And then I also want you to be aware of those pains that don't go away, that might linger, that might get worse as you go. How do those feel? And typically, all of us are going to experience some continuity of pain, meaning we're going to have some similar issues over time pop up for us, and we're going to start to be able to recognize those things. For me, I have little niggles in my left calf because I have ankle mobility issues with my left ankle that plague me. I know when those things become too much and when I need to have somebody help me with them. And I also know when it's not a big deal, when it's something I can manage on my own. So I've watched and learned from my own patterns of pain over time. Same thing for my right hip on the other side, possibly from compensating from the left ankle. I know when I'm I'm starting to feel some issues in my right hip, I know how to manage that and how to work through it because I've started to see and develop a recognition of those patterns with my own injuries. And so that's something you just want to pay attention to. And there's some rules of thumb here that you can follow that are really important. One rule of thumb is that in general, with soft tissue-related injuries, Movement is an important part of healing. Not running is going to get you nowhere or not moving is going to typically get you nowhere with a soft tissue injury because you need that blood flow to promote healing. But there's some rules of thumb. One rule of thumb is that if the pain is a three or less on a one to 10 scale and doesn't get worse as you go, then generally it's okay to move on it. With easy, super easy running or with perhaps switching to cross training, biking, swimming, elliptical, something that's not going to perhaps have the impact in pounding, but that's going to still help you create blood flow so that you can help heal that area. That's a rule of thumb. Another rule of thumb with soft tissue injuries is that typically doing nothing isn't going to solve the problem. you got to figure out the root cause. You've got to address that root cause. Sometimes you can figure it out on your own or with consultation with your coach. Sometimes you need to tap into a provider of some sort to help you figure that out. But you have to be active about the recovery process. Sitting around doing nothing is often not going to solve it. It's going to come right back when you start moving again. So seek help figuring out that root cause, addressing the core issue so that you can get it to go away. As a part of that, Your recovery is going to be active. It's going to mean doing things. Perhaps movement is a part of that. Perhaps physical therapy of some sort. Mobility work, strength work will be a part of that. But doing nothing typically is not a part of it. And so start to develop your intuition around injury. Another question to ask yourself in the context of injury is should I run or not? I mentioned the rule of thumb. Three or less and doesn't get worse as you go then usually it's okay to move on it as long as you're supplementing that with some proactive efforts to rehab and work through that issue. Because if you stay ahead of these things and you start to address them when they're small, then typically you can address it before it becomes a full-blown issue that you have to stop running from. But you got to stay ahead of it. You got to listen to your body. You got to recognize those little niggles that are out of the ordinary so that you can start to proactively address them. And as long as you're seeing the pain change or abate, then typically you're on to something. If the pain is not changing, and by changing I mean moving, the pain is not moving or it's not getting better, As you go, then that's usually a sign that you're not barking up the right tree, that you need to perhaps change your approach to the rehab process or perhaps get to the next possible root cause that it could be and start to address that. Because it's an ongoing, typically an iterative process to work through these injuries. And over time, you'll start to develop patterns, you'll start to know little things that work. You'll start to develop your list of prehab exercises to prevent your common issues from popping up, but all of that comes from developing an intuition about injury and about how your body works and the typical things that it faces. Doesn't come easily, and oftentimes there's trial and error with this process, but it requires you being active and present and recognizing the patterns that you see over time so that ultimately, you can work through these things when they come. Because, as I said, there's no such thing as a perfect training cycle. Typically, there's no such thing as a niggle-free training cycle either. If you're pushing the edge, if you're testing your limits, you're going to face little issues. That's a part of it. Managing little issues, managing little pains, little niggles, is a part of the process. And there will never be a time, if you're pushing the limits in the right way, where everything completely goes smoothly and you have a perfect pain three cycle that's just likely not going to happen. And so this is a part of the process. Recognize it. Develop your intuition around it. Learn the typical things your body faces so that you can overcome them when they pop up. So that's number five, injury. Last but certainly not least, let's talk about intuition around racing. Let's talk about intuition around racing. And one of the big things here is intuition around executing a race. Executing a race. But there's also certain intuition about developing a plan for races. For this episode, I'm not going to go into the details of building a race plan. I'm going to refer you to episode 250, where I talked all about that. And that's what, that is something that it's a skill to build where it takes analytics, but it also takes intuition about knowing how certain terrain will affect your paces. So go to episode 250, practice this, develop that muscle of figuring out how to build a race plan. What I want to talk more about today is how do I develop an intuition around racing, meaning how do I develop an intuition around executing a race in a fashion that's gonna allow me to get the most out of myself on the, on the day. Typically, that means executing a negative split type of plan. But I wanna talk about some some practical ways you can start to develop better intuition around racing. You can develop a better feel for executing a smart race. One, one thing you can do, and I'm gonna give you some three examples here. One example is to race more. It's to race more. Look, I'm a big believer in only peaking two or three times a year and that if you're going to have A races, there should only be two or three A races in a given year where you're putting your main eggs in the basket of that race, expecting a PR, expecting to go for it, expecting to get the best on the day. But sometimes there should be seasons where you give yourself the opportunity to race more often. I think the best season for that would be a speed track season where you're actually working on 5Ks and 10Ks dis- type distance where you can more easily recover from those distances. And even in the context of racing more, I still want you to have an A race to pick the ones that matter. But beyond that, just show up on some start lines more often. And that doesn't mean that you have to go out at every single time you're on a start line. But it does mean... That I want you to go into each of those races with a plan where maybe it's not to go all out, but maybe it's to simply execute a certain race strategy that's well within your wheelhouse that stays away from the edge, but rather just helps you learn how to execute certain paces in the race context that's going to then translate to you executing your A race plan to the best of your ability. So give yourself. Training races is what I like to call them, where you're simply staying away from the edge, not trying to get everything out of the day, but you are going in with some sort of set plan. Often I like to set these up as progression type runs where you're starting more conservatively and then planning to finish strong at the end so that you can practice that, so that you can start to imprint your ability to finish a race well to start more conservatively and to finish strong. And so to give you an example, for a half marathon, for example, you might choose to run the first three miles at marathon pace plus 20 to 30 seconds and then run the next five miles at marathon pace and then maybe you run the next three miles at half marathon pace and then you finish those last two miles as fast as you can. So you get to that point in the race and you let and you take all limiters off and you just go for it with the goal of running that last mile as fast as you can. You can do a plan like that in a half. You can do a plan like that in a 10K. You can do a plan like that in a 5K. And that not only teaches you to learn how to progress and control your impulses early in a race in the, in the midst of a big crowd and all of the adrenaline of a start line, but it also Teaches you to have a killer instinct to get everything out of the very end so that when you are riding the finer line, you have instincts for how to give yourself a kick no matter how you're feeling at the end of the race. It imprints both physically and mentally that ability to finish strong in a way that's going to carry over to your race day in a positive fashion. So, race more, try things in races. Take it, bats. And if you're in a season where you're doing a speed track and you want to run multiple 5Ks or multiple 10Ks, but maybe those are at least a couple weeks apart, do it because you're going to get better physically and mentally by taking more bats. So you're practicing your racing intuition in that way. Another thing I would say here is perhaps on occasion do a race. Without a watch or with tape over your watch, just like you might in a workout, go for it in a race by just listening to your body and see what happens. I promise you, I've tried it, I've done it. It's discombobulating at first because you want to rely on that data, but it can also be extremely liberating and surprisingly effective way to get the most out of yourself as something to try and practice so occasionally take one of those races those at bats, so to speak and just do it without a watch and see what happens give yourself room to progress give yourself room to finish strong feel it maybe use the people around you as carrots in a sense in a local race maybe you know the people that are typically around you in that race but what if you race them Instead of staring at your watch and trying to run a time trial with your own specific paces in mind, what if you actually just hung out around the crew that you normally are with and you just try to beat them on a given day? What would that feel like? Flex that intuition in that way. And the last thing I'll point to here is just the simple idea that you have to practice the mental side of the equation in races. That's going to give you an ability to have a killer instinct, so to speak. Develop your toolkit. Have your mantras. Work on the positive self-talk. Utilize counting. Utilizing utilize my strategy of going fishing at the end. Practice those things because when you can lean on the tactics of mental strength, when you can lean on the tactics of mental strength then you can separate yourself from the doubts of, will I have it when it gets hard? What happens when, what if I'm not strong enough? You can separate yourself from those what if negatives, those doubts, and you can just rely on the very tangible tactics of mental strength that become a prevailing intuition that becomes part of a killer instinct in you It's going to allow you to get the best out of yourself by simply flexing that muscle. Just like we can train our physical body, we can train our mental body, we can build our mental toolkit in a very tangible way so that you can lean on that instead of being paralyzed by the doubts, the anxieties of the challenges that you might face in a race. So flex your mental toolkit, build your mental toolkit, practice your mental toolkit consistently In races, in your big workouts, so that you can pull that out and count on it when it gets hard. I kind of liken it to, in the Star Wars stories, to Luke Skywalker when he's being trained to be a Jedi by Yoda and Obi-Wan. When he's practicing with his lightsaber and he had that little practice orb that would fire at him. And he had to close his eyes or use the shield that blocked his eyes to know how to block those things with his lightsaber. He was practicing the mental intuition of using the force, of using his instincts to respond in battle so that he could then take that into a real situation and apply it effectively. And it's no different than that. Practice your mental game. Practice using the force in races and workouts, assemble that mental toolkit so that you can become a reliable person responding when it gets tough. So that you can trust your instincts, your intuition to get the most out of yourself when it counts. So there we go. A whole episode on intuition. Learn to use the force. Six categories. Pace, quality sessions, recovery, program structure, injury and racing don't try all these things at once but pick a category pick a few things to try start to flex that muscle build your intuition you'll be better for it so we'll wrap this episode here thanks for listening thanks for joining me thanks also to Kara for sponsoring i'll have that offer code in the show notes if you'd like to take advantage of it otherwise as always you can check us out at rogue running or follow us on twitter instagram or facebook until next time we'll talk to you soon